Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. Well, how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, thanks for listening to Breaking Points with Crystal and Sagar. We're going to be totally upfront with you. We took a big risk going independent. To make this work, we need your support to beat the corporate media. CNN, Fox, MSNBC, they are ripping this country apart. They are making millions of dollars doing it. To help support our mission of making all of us hate each other less, hate the corrupt ruling class more, support the show. Become a Breaking Points premium member today where you get to watch and listen to the entire show ad-free and uncut an hour early before everyone else. You get to hear our reactions to each other's monologues. You get to participate in weekly Ask Me Anythings. And you don't need to hear our annoying voices pitching you like I am right now. So what are you waiting for? Go to BreakingPoints.com, become a premium member today, which is available in the show notes. Enjoy the show, guys. As you guys know, we've started this new partnership with The Daily Poster in order to elevate some of their original journalism. You all know they do incredible work over there following the money, telling the real story of how decisions get made in Washington. Now, normally we talk to David Sirota, but The Daily Poster is Way more than just David Sirota. We have one of their great reporters on this morning, Julia Rock, who's got a couple of new stories we want to get to. Great to see you, Julia. Good to see you, Julia. Thanks for having me. Mm -hmm. Um, So you have a piece out about former Chicago Mayor Rahm Emanuel, everybody's favorite. Um, And you detail what you describe, and we can throw this tear sheet up on the screen, as the corporate-funded rehabilitation of Rahm Emanuel. And effectively what you do here is break down the money that he's taken from various corporate interests, how that has potentially impacted some of the commentary that he has offered in mainstream outlets, and also, by the way, the fact that none of those mainstream outlets ever disclosed that he had these very direct conflicts of interest. Just break down for us what you found. Yeah, so after Emanuel left the mayor's office in Chicago in 2019, he got a job with ABC News as a pundit. Um, as well as a couple of, you know, smaller gigs writing op-eds for places like Politico, The Washington Post. He had a really short stint at The Atlantic as a contributing editor. 
Um, and during that time between 2019 and when he was uh, nominated for the ambassadorship to Japan a couple of months ago, Emmanuel just kind of trashed um, key progressive policies such as Medicare for all, a Green New Deal, as well as mainstream positions within the Democratic Party, um, such as raising the minimum wage to $15 an hour, something that Kamala Harris and President Joe Biden both support, um, making college more affordable and accessible. And during that time when he was writing those op-eds and appearing on ABC News to uh, disparage progressives, he was also making quite a bit of money working for an investment banking advisory firm called Centerview Partners. Uh, he made about like $12.5 million during the, the two years between being in office and being nominated for the ambassadorship. And uh, we looked through the deals that that firm was working on during that time. And as it turns out, a lot of those deals were with major pharmaceutical companies and fossil fuel companies. So some companies would be familiar, such as Gilead, which um, manufactured the, the government-funded COVID, COVID treatment drug, as well as Pacific Gas and Electric, the utility in California. Um, so these are companies that you know are involved in lobbying against the policies that Emmanuel was trashing on TV and in the pages of mainstream um, publications. And, you know, like you said, it was never disclosed that he was taking in money from this firm and working on these deals while he was writing um, those op-eds and going on those tirades. It is wild. I mean, $12 million, that's good work if you can get it. And what I'm really looking at here was that not, what you're pointing to in the disclosure is that during that exact time whenever he was in the media, this investment deals that they were working on were directly impacted by policies he was discussing. Is that right? Uh, can, can you say more about that? Yeah, I mean, the Gilead Pharmaceutical uh, deal that you guys point to. Just explain that a little bit. Got you. Yeah. yeah. So, so policies that he is on TV talking about exactly are policies that would directly you know, affect these companies um, and the things they're working on. So Medicare for all is a is a good example. I think, you know, not a lot of people necessarily know this, but but some of the biggest lobbying and lobbying money against Medicare for all has been from the pharmaceutical companies. Um, and, you know, the same the same goes for a Green New Deal, which is, is less of a specific policy, but kind of a collection of climate policies. And Utilities, again, have been really um, uh, important kind of sources of money for lobbying efforts against climate action. Um, so, yeah, again, these are these policies he's talking about would kind of directly affect these companies. It's not some like tangential or down the road uh, impact. Julie, you also have a new story out this morning about, look, we've focused here a lot on the fact that Democrats since 2006 have promised to, we're going to, this time, we're really going to do it, guys. We're going to negotiate with these prescription drug companies to get you lower prices, um, something that is such a no-brainer, something like 80 to 90 percent of the American people support it, and yet for all of these decades, they failed to get it done. But you point to there are other mechanisms that the Biden administration could use to lower pharmaceutical drug prices. So far, they have not um, pursued those avenues, but just lay out for us what tools are on the table for them. Yeah, so one of the main tools at the Biden administration's disposal um, is called March in Rights, 
which is something that a couple of senators have really been pressuring the Biden administration to take on, as well as, as we reported today, you know, Biden's current health and human secretary Health and Human Services Secretary has long supported the federal government doing this. And March in Rights um, is basically a tool that the federal government has if a government subsidized patent. So an example of this would be the COVID vaccines. We know that um, those vaccines were developed using patents that were funded with government research. Um, if, you know, if there's a product that was developed using a government subsidized patent and the company that has that patent isn't kind of distributing the, the product in a reasonable way or pricing it in a reasonable way, the government can essentially say, you're not using this patent correctly. We're going to give another manufacturer the right to produce this product. Um, and this is something that that can be used to lower drug prices. The Trump administration was opposed to using it to lower drug prices and issued kind of an 11th hour rule um, to prevent the federal government from doing that. But that rule, which is now actually sitting in the Commerce Department under Secretary Gina Raimondo, um, could be rescinded. So the Biden administration could essentially rescind that Trump rule that prevents March and rights from be, being used to lower drug prices, as well as kind of deploy March and rights to go in and start licensing these patents to other manufacturers to lower prices. And what has HHS Secretary uh, Becerra said on this in the past? So, yeah, there are a couple of occasions where he's really pressured the federal government to use these rights. During the Obama administration, he was um, one of a group of Congress people to pressure the Obama administration to use March and rights to lower drug prices. And then again, as recently as last year, when he was Attorney General of California, um, he he petitioned Trump HHS Secretary Alex Azar to um, use marching rights to make the Gilead treatment drug for COVID that I was talking about earlier um, more accessible to a broader population. Wow. Um, seems like another candidate would be if this Merck pill for COVID ultimately pans out. They're wanting to charge like 400% of what it costs to make. This is, again, another drug that was developed um, using government public funding. So U.S. taxpayer funded the development, and then the company turns around and charges 400% of what it costs to make in a gigantic price gouging scheme. The Biden administration could do something about it, but so far they have chosen not to. Julia, thank you so much uh, for breaking down these great reports that you have out this morning. And listen, guys, we give the pitch every week, but you and the whole team over there at The Daily Poster are doing such great work, actually focusing on the stories that matter in D.C., the money that flows through this town and, you know, creates some of the messes that we ultimately see. So if you guys are able, make sure you go over and subscribe to The Daily Poster so that you can be informed about all of those things straight away. Julia, thank you so much for your time this morning. Thank you, Julia. Thank you. A lot of people watch with great interest. Dr. Sanjay Gupta over at CNN appearing on the Joe Rogan podcast. Both Crystal and I listened to the entire thing. Mm -hmm. I recommend that you all go do so as well. Joe actually presses Sanjay Gupta hard on the case for vaccination. Sanjay Gupta does a good job of laying out what I would say the most reasonable pro-vaccine case there is. Yep. Joe does a good uh, job of representing the other side. Regardless, we need to see a lot more of that. 
in our media, people who are actually engaging with one another. It was a very respectful conversation. There was one part, though, that we had to pull out. We were going to wait until Friday in order to post this, but because you know, it, it, there's so much interest, and I think we'll go ahead and post it today on Thursday for those of you who are watching. Joe is grilling Sanjay Gupta on remember CNN's decision in order to call ivermectin horse dewormer, specifically in reference to Rogan, after he got sick. And Joe really grills him and gets Sanjay Gupta to admit that CNN made a mistake and should not have said what they said. One of the rarest things you're ever going to see. Let's take a listen. By the way, I'm glad you're you're, you're better. I'm Thank glad you. it only lasted a day. You're probably really the only am. one at CNN that's glad. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. We're not. The rest of them are all lying about me taking Hork's medication. <laughs> and we should talk about that. That bothered you. It should bother you, too. I, They're well, lying I, at your network about people taking human drugs versus drugs for it, veterinary. It, calling it a horse dewormer is not a flattering thing. I get it's that. It's a lie. It's a lie on a news network. It, it, and it's a lie that's a willing that's that's a lie that they're conscious of. It's not a mistake. Yeah. They're unfavorably framing it as veterinary medicine. Well, the FDA put this thing out. You saw that. Did you see that thing that the FDA put out? What did the FDA put out? <laughs> it was a tweet, and it was snarky. I admit it. They said, you are not a horse, you are not a cow, stop taking this stuff, or something like that. Why would you say that when you're talking about a drug that's been given out to billions and billions of people, a drug that was responsible for one of the inventors of it making the Nobel the Prize. Winning the Nobel Prize in 2015. 15, yeah. Yeah, no, a, a drug well, that has been shown to stop viral replication in vitro. You know that, right? I, I, Why would they lie? And say that's horse dewormer. I can afford people medicine, motherfucker. <laughs> this is ridiculous. It's just a lie. I don't think anyone is th but don't you think that a lie like that is dangerous on a news network when you know that they know they're lying? You know that they know that I took medicine. Like, here it is. This is ivermectin. You got this it with it right you. here. Somebody gave it to me. All right, hang on. I, I, do you, the, the thing is, we're, we're, we're like going so fast. Like, I feel like I'm missing. I'm missing. Do you think I want that to, that's a problem that your news network was not, lies? Well, I don't. I don't. Dude, I mean, what did they say? They lied what and they said say? I was taking horse dewormer. First of all, it was prescribed to me by a doctor. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Along they with shouldn't have said a it was bunch of if, other if medications. Was, if you got a human pill because there were people that were taking it the veterinary medication and i you're not obviously you got it from a doctor so that it shouldn't be called that ivermectin can be a very effective medication for parasitic disease and as you say it's probably you know i think what a quarter billion people have taken it around the world more, i get that way more so way but, more can, billions can, of people have taken it can i just come back to the one i want to talk about I, two, no, no, two, no no two no, things no. on you the ledger to, you have before we get to that does it bother you that the news network you work for out and out lied, well, just outright lied about me taking horse dewormer. They, they, they shouldn't have said that. Why did they do that? I don't know. You didn't ask? You I, didn't think that was your, did, you're the medical guy over there. I didn't ask. I should have asked before coming But they coming did it with podcast. such glee. No, Yes, Joe. they did. I watched. They, you I watched. watched? I watched. You watched. No, I don't think there's yes, glee. Yes, they did. I don't, I, no one takes. <laughs> Joe Rogan says he has COVID. Taking, taking livestock drug despite warnings. Yeah, Jamie had to pull this up. You want to huh? play it? Does she? Does she? This have is your news network. I'm gonna watch. Let's see. I'm gonna watch. He then goes on to play Aaron Burnett, oh! describing it as I think she says veterinary medication. Um, he also references Brian Stelter, who had said, "When yeah. you have a horse deworming medication right. that's discouraged by the government, that actually causes some people in this crazed environment we're in to actually want to try it, that's the upside down world we're in with figures like Joe Rogan." So. <sighs> 
Dead to Rights. That's something to watch. That was, look, you're never going to see that. You're just never going to see it. And again, I want to give both of these men credit for engaging. And you should really listen to the whole conversation because it is actually fascinating. They go through the different studies on ivermectin. Um, They talk about myocarditis and the incidents among young boys. I mean, they really go through it all. And it is extraordinarily important and I think good to listen to and so little of that dialogue has happened in American discourse but to this moment right here you see Joe's like fighter instinct Mm -hmm. Gupta is on the ropes and he is not he's not gonna let him out yeah he He had to tap he he, had to tap he tries to change the stuff well this is going so fast let me talk he's like no 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 why did they say it's why did they lie and say it's horsey warmer and he makes this really important point um, and at another point, because this went on for quite a while. Oh, this is like 10 minutes. And yeah. recurring came up a couple times throughout the podcast because, not because Joe, like, cares about his own, like, ego or whatever, but because it's really important that people feel like a news network is being straight with them. And so he draws the connection of, okay, well, if they're going to lie about this thing, which is easily checkable and, like, obviously untrue— what else are they lying about? Are they lying about Syria? Are they lying about um, Afghanistan? Are they lying about Russia? Like, what other, Hunter Biden, whatever it is, how do we trust these other things that you're asserting with similar levels of confidence when something's so easily checked, you're just outright wrong about? Yeah, and Sanjay didn't have an answer. Like, I've actually met Sanjay Gupta. He's a really nice guy. Um, I can say that. And I do actually think he's a genuinely honest actor. Remember, he's the one who asked Dr. Fauci about natural immunity. He's the one who did the documentary on the origins of COVID, and he got Dr. Robert Redfield, the CDC director, to tell him about the Wuhan Institute of Virology. And he's the one who is very open to the idea of a lab leak, talked about gain-of-function research. Some of the primary source materials that I have used to talk about lab leak come from Sanjay Gupta. So that is on the table. That being said, Sanjay did not have a good answer. And when Joe was like, do you understand how when people see this, how do I know you're telling the truth about Hunter Biden, Russia, Putin, or anything else? He said, do you understand that? And look, I get it. Sanjay Gupta, I mean, he's been on TV since like before I was born. And I would really say like, he is is not representative of everything that's wrong at CNN. Mm -hmm. But- he didn't really have a good answer. There is no answer. And I was What is not, the answer? There is I mean, no the answer. The answer is, is yes, I yes. understand that, and but I think it's upsetting. Obviously can't say that. Right, and I, you know, I was a little upset this morning because I woke up, I thought the conversation was great, and Gupta put out this kind of op-ed where he talks about, and he's like, well, you know, some of my friends told me not to do this, and it was very much like a signaling to the elite circle of the world, like, oh, well, you know, I had to do this because... You know, talking to Joe Rogan, like, here's why I have to justify it. He rolled this whole op-ed. Dude, you don't have to justify anything. You're on the number one podcast show in the country. You have a book to sell. That's easy enough justification, number one. Number two is, if you can't even talk to somebody, what's the point? The guy's a doctor. If you want to talk about somebody who is going to have the best case, like the best case for the vaccine against somebody with some honest questions about it, why do you have to write this whole sob, like, here's why I did it, here's why it was important? Dude, of course it's important. You probably reached more people there than you ever did on CNN. Yeah. And, yeah, I, I found that part very annoying. I understand well, it 100% says, why he has to do it. It but. says a lot about kind of the, the place that we're at, right. where this whole idea of, like, how could you, you talk like, platform oh. Joe Rogan? He does it. He gets yeah. way more viewers yeah, and listeners right. than CNN does. <laughs> so you're not platforming or legitimizing anyone. Yeah. You have an opportunity to speak to an audience, address Joe's concerns, say, listen, this study, I mean, one of the studies that uh, Joe brought up about ivermectin, for example, 
Sanjay was able to point out, like, well, you know, at the same time that these people were given ivermectin, they were also given the steroid that's yes, proven to be right. effective. And I didn't know that either. I, you know, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a really useful piece of information. Right. And they went back and forth on these specific studies where it's, okay, well, but here's, you know, that was, this was the sample size or Here's why that may have been linked to natural immunity decline in COVID in mm-hmm. India versus ivermectin. So they actually were able to go through with factual information what each of these pieces meant and how people should think about the relative risks of the disease versus the vaccine. And it was an extraordinary three-hour conversation. Um, Sanjay, there are a couple things that were noteworthy to me. They did get into it. Um, it was not particularly contentious, but they did dig into the definition of gain-of-function research. That's right, at the very end, actually, for those who are looking for that. And um, those exchanges that Rand Paul has had with Fauci. And I think Gupta sort of rightly pointed out, like, look, obviously, Paul, he didn't say this quite so directly, but like, Mm -hmm. look, obviously, this guy's got an agenda. But in the same respect, they're parsing the language, and they have their very specific technical definition of gain-of-function that they think this doesn't technically meet, but by lots of definitions of gain-of-function, obviously. Well, so they get into that. He talks about the cover-up um, of China not letting people in to look at what's going on in the lab, test the antibodies of the workers uh-huh. who got sick, and all of those things. So that was interesting. There's also a moment at the end where they start talking about Joe's political ideology. That's true. And Gupta was really surprised. Right. He was like, I thought you were a libertarian or something. And Joe's something like, to the effect. no. I mean, yeah. Joe actually describes himself as 100% left. <laughs> yeah. Right. I think some people would dispute that. Sure. I think he's, you know, he's heterodox. He has a mix mm. of views. But he's like, I'm for universal health care. He said he like, never voted for a Republican in his life. I I'm, that long. I'm for right. expanding the social safety net. And UBI. And, right. and UBI and talked about Andrew Yang. He also said, though, like had his critiques of, of the left, too. But um, I thought that was kind of revealing as well because Gupta, even though he had said he had listened to his podcast, had clearly um, taken in and internalized just the, the sort of caricature-ish yep view of Joe and and what his views on all all of this are. There are some parts that are extraordinarily frustrating to listen to. There are some parts that are pretty compatible. There's some parts where they really come to agreement. But overall, it was definitely a worthwhile three hours. You need 10 times more of this in terms of actual engagement. So I thought it was a great conversation. I encourage you guys all to go listen to it. This particular part, I'll admit, I enjoyed it. Yeah. (laughs) It was was satisfying (laughs) to watch. Very satisfying to watch. All right. All right, guys. Thanks for watching. One more for you later. Hey, so remember how we told you how awesome premium membership was? Well, here we are again to remind you that becoming a premium member means you don't have to listen to our constant pleas for you to subscribe. So what are you waiting for? Become a premium member today by going to breakingpoints.com, which you can click on in the show notes. So I've noticed an interesting phenomenon online. Everybody keeps saying, let's go, Brandon. And I said, what the hell is going on? (laughs) And it has been traced back to a clip which has recently come across my radar, which may be one of the funniest things I've ever seen. An NBC reporter um, trying to cover up the fact that a crowd of people at a sporting event are shouting F Joe Biden by saying, look at them, shouting, let's go, Brandon. I swear this is real. You can judge it for yourself. Let's take a listen. Thank you to all of our partners. Oh my God, it's just such an unbelievable moment. Brandon, you also told me, as you can hear the chants from the the crowd, 
Let's go, Brandon. Brandon, you told me you were going to kind of hang back those first two stages and just watch and learn. What did you learn that helped you there in those closing laps? Oh, my God. It was uh, learning how each line didn't uh, stay to one, and everything shifted top to bottom so much. All right, look, it's clear as day what the crowd is shouting here. I mean, I don't know. Here's the thing. I do kind of feel for her in that situation. I don't really know what you do. I mean, it is, I think it's like, that's like network TV, so they have standards, so they're like, do they cut away? And so she's like, let's go back. I don't know. Where did that even come from? Like, how do you even possibly try and spin that? This dude's name was Brandon. I believe his name is Brandon. By the way, I know nothing about NASCAR whatsoever, so, you know, cars on the table there. I have Um, no idea even who this guy is. I mean, Um, I don't know say it's possible that she actually thought they were saying that because you think so? well if you think about it you're standing there you've got your earpiece in True. it's yeah. very loud yeah. it's very hard to hear you're trying to hear back like at you know new york or wherever they're <laughs> based and then you're talking to this dude and you hear something in the background i'm gonna stand up for her and say maybe okay. she actually thought that but that doesn't make it any less hilarious no it, i mean <laughs> that is so funny. And so now it has become a sensation on um, on media. I see it in our comment section. I see it in everybody's Let's comment section. Brandon. Let's go, Brandon. And I was like, what is going on? I was like, who is Brandon? What's happening? Um, eventually this, after I saw the video, I was like, oh my God, I cannot believe it. As you said, look, maybe she did actually believe it. Maybe she was panicking. She was like, I just, I have to do something. You could say it's enough like Brandon. Um, but yes, Crystal, this is the origin of the Let's Go Brandon meme, which I got to say, in terms of sticking power for memes, I think this one's going to be around. This is a solid one. This Very is a solid. solid, solid thing. Let me attempt to make a serious point here, okay. which is, um, remember at the beginning of the Biden presidency, uh, he was hard to demonize. Like, there wasn't energy around hating him. Yep. Uh at CPAC, the speeches weren't really about him. Even Trump— Right, in February. That's right. Yeah, even Trump, like, didn't talk about him that much. Fox News, you know, they—and they still prefer to, you know, they'll drag up AOC, AOC. and act like she and Bernie are really running the show or something like that. I'm a lot too. But, oh, yeah. But um, there's definitely starting to be more organic actual hatred towards Joe Biden— not just sort of like, oh, he's doddering old man and he's irrelevant. We're afraid of these other things, but actual like hatred and venom directed at him, which, you know, look, it's predictable. And the uh, partisan media machine is very good at generating that those kinds of feelings. But I also think is it's a bad sign for him because we covered some of the poll numbers where he used to be really firmly above water on things like, you know, do you trust him? Do you like him? Is he looking out for people like you? Mm. And now he's underwater in those same character traits. And that was really the thing that he had going for him is he was kind of like inoffensive, hard to demonize, kind of likable. You kind of gave him the benefit of the doubt. And I think that he's lost a lot of that. Oh, I think that's right. And it's interesting, you know, to that point, I asked our producer, James, I was like, where does this come from? And apparently it's an organic thing, kind of at SEC games and more. It would make sense. Um, uh, my own hometown in the SEC. So I, I completely understand what's going on there. But oh, you are entering that once you start to get that revulsion of a figure, that's a problem because Biden is not Barack Obama. People really loved Barack Obama. So he was both hated and he was loved. Yeah. People feel fine about Joe Biden. And now people are beginning to hate Joe Biden. I'm not saying it's in the same category as Obama and even Trump. But, and you point this out all the time, I would much rather be those two gentlemen because you have people who would actually come out and vote for you 
crawl over broken glass. There's not a lot of Biden people like that out there, but there's beginning to become some sort of constituency which is against Biden himself, or maybe just the National Democratic brand. And you put that together, that's an electoral problem that they're gonna Yeah, have. you don't wanna be in a, in a situation where your detractors really super hate, hate you. Hate guts, right. And your supporters are sort of like, eh, he's okay. Um, and I kind of think that's the territory that Biden's getting into. I think into that's right. So let's go, Brandon. Let's go, right. Brandon. We'll, <laughs> we'll have more for you guys later. Wow, you guys must really like listening to our voices. Well, I know this is annoying. Instead of making you listen to a Viagra commercial, when you're done, check out the other podcasts I do with Marshall Kosloff called The Realignment. We talk a lot about the deeper issues that are changing, realigning in American society. You always need more Crystal and Saga in your daily lives. Take care, guys. Some uh, very troubling and yet predictable developments in the Prince Andrew-Jeffrey Epstein connection, let's put this up there on the screen, which is that the UK police say that they will not take any action on sexual assault suits against Prince Andrew. Now, this matters for a number of reasons, which is one of the reasons that the accuser, Virginia Gouffray, she has accused Andrew of sexually abusing her when she was a teenager. She filed suit in a U.S. court in the U.S. District for the Southern District of New York. Now, Part of the thing is, is in these suits, is you have to be served papers. Mm. And so this is where the British police protecting Andrew have come into play. Because the Duke has maintained that he's never been served. And the reason he's never been served is because he's being protected by the Metropolitan Police. And so Virginia Gouffray's legal team has tried repeatedly in order to get and see Andrew to serve him with papers. They were told by the Metropolitan Police, you could consider him served by giving us these papers or the people who guard him. But his legal team says that doesn't count. And so effectively what you have is a situation where Virginia Gouffray, the accuser of Prince Andrew, is unable to actually serve Prince Andrew with papers, at least in a legal definition, although that's being challenged in court, because he's being protected by the British police. Now, the way that the British police had kind of been saying that they would invest, they would that they could, you know, keep up their morale or you know keep up the image of them is they're like, well, we're going to do an investigation. Well, now they just dropped the investigation. They said they're not going to take any action on this hmm. whatsoever. They said they will quote continue to liaise with other law enforcement agencies on matters related to Epstein. But what did I just tell you? Which is that the Metropolitan Police is already protecting Prince Andrew by making sure that he can't get served with papers. And then they say that they'll liaise with other agencies. Okay, well, how about this? The FBI, since 2019, has been trying to interview Prince Andrew. They've tried on multiple occasions, and he refuses to cross the pond and come to the United States and sit down for a deposition. And whenever our agents have tried to go talk to him in the UK, they say, no, it's not going to happen. This was under Bill Barr and its current U.S. Department of Justice policy. So what's going on? Why don't you liaise with us? Their police commissioner says, quote, no one is above the mm -hmm. law. But come on now. At this point, he's a prince in a palace being protected by police. And that's his excuse, Crystal, for why he can't get served with papers. And then his own country's police department is dropping the investigation into this guy. It doesn't get any more corrupt than this. I'm going to guess the U.S. isn't going to provi pro uh, provide a whole lot of pressure 
to. Well, what are we supposed to do? Yeah. It's, he's the prince. It's their government. They are. The, they should be giving us him on a platter if they really want to. Oh, I mean, please. Yeah. yeah. That's their, I mean, just ask yourself the question. Is anybody, like, low-level, regular person yeah, who done. was charged with right. these kinds of crimes, please. Like, it would be over. And yet, he's protected and looks like very possible he won't face justice ever. Um, zero accountability for this. And imagine how much courage it took for Virginia Gaffray to, to come out and, oh, yeah. and you to know, pursue this in court. To actually pursue this in court, knowing uh, what she'll be subjected to, knowing the that these types of shenanigans will be pulled to protect him at any cost. And that's exactly what's, what's transpired. No, it, it is exactly what's happening. And look, even the judge here in our, the Southern District of New York, was starting to say, like, come on, guys, this is ridiculous, whenever it came to Prince Andrew's legal team. But the whole reason that they're challenging this on the serving grounds is because they don't even want to go on the record to deny or affirm in court what happened. They don't want to, they want to avoid any both admission or denial of guilt. Yes, Andrew has said, you know, in his 2019 BBC interview that he didn't do anything. Okay, you know, he could say whatever he wants. But remember, he has now dodged all the FBI to actually speak on the record. Here, he wants to avoid saying anything in court, and they want to try and dismiss this on procedural grounds. We'll see how that works out. I mean, at the end of the day, he's still a prince. And then the only entity which can do anything, which is the Metropolitan Police, they protect him. They could go, and they could serve him with papers. They could investigate him. They could depose him on the behalf of the FBI. All of that, they're not going to do anything. So just the latest um, in terms of this, they really hope what they want, they want, the monarchy and all that is they want the press and the public to just lose interest. Mm -hmm. They're like, look, if you drag this out long enough and we stick him behind a wall, which is what they've done now for almost two years, people are just going to forget. They'll turn the temperature down. They should not forget because this guy, you know, you look at the interview for yourself and you can say that in my view for his lawyers, he's clearly a liar. Look, if you're innocent, go clear your name. There you go. It's that simple. Okay. All right, guys, we'll have more for you later. One more thing, I promise. Just wanted to make sure you knew about my podcast with Kyle Kalinske. It's called Crystal Kyle and Friends, where we do long-form interviews with people like Noam Chomsky, Cornell West, and Glenn Greenwald. You can listen on any podcast platform, or you can subscribe over on Substack to get the video a day early. We're going to stop bugging you now. Enjoy. Some important news about how just fake everything here is in Washington, D.C. Kamala Harris, our vice president, recently produced a YouTube original series about the space program. As vice president, she actually is the head of the American space program. It's a carryover from the LBJ days under John F. Kennedy. And in that video, you're going to notice some children. The only thing you can really notice just from the video itself is, good Lord, uh, as a politician, I just will never understand what's going on there. Brutal. First Watch it, and then we're going to tell you the important news on the other side about what you're seeing. I just love the idea of exploring the unknown. And then there's other things that we just haven't figured out or discovered yet. To think about so much that's out there that we still have to learn. Like, I love that. I love that. And so I'm very excited about the Space Council. We're going to learn so much um, as we increasingly, I think, are curious and interested in the potential for the discoveries and the work we can do in space. So that's one of the things I'm most excited about. But the other, you guys are going to see, you're going to literally see the craters on the moon with your own eyes. With your own eyes. I'm telling you, it is going to be unbelievable. 
So those kids those who are saying, children. wow, uh, yeah, first of all, poor <laughs> children. Um, it turns out, though, a deep investigation from the Washington Examiner, let's put this up there on the screen, that those children were actually child actors. Um, and this was all sparked because Trevor Bernardino, he was an actor, 13-year-old from Carmel, California, he was asked to submit a monologue discussing something he's passionate about and three questions for a world leader. He then interviewed with a production director, and then his agent was like, hey, you booked it. And he didn't learn until later that he would be meeting with Kamala Harris. He was joined by several others. I actually realized I shouldn't read all their names, but anyway, it's been confirmed. All of the children, the multiracial children, uh, in, the, uh, in that video were child actors, all five of them, according to the father of one of the actors. All of them work, well, the one that I mentioned, working in Los Angeles. And this was billed as a YouTube original called Get Curious with Kamala Harris. I mean... You can find... I mean, these first kids of all, seem adorable yeah, and lovely look, and no, sweet. No knock on Nothing the about the kids. Just get some real kids. But you can just yeah. find some kids who actually are like, interested in space yeah. and would be excited when I was a kid, to meet I, the vice president. Listen, I can't stand Kamala Harris. And if I was a kid and I got to meet the vice president yeah, and talk about cool. space, it would have been awesome. Of so, course. look. I don't look. I don't know exactly just, what to say. I think the thing to say about it's very it, revealing. Right? It is very revealing. There are a couple other very revealing pieces on this deep dive that uh -huh. the Washington Examiner did. One is I like this line. I am so 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 excited this project is out. Wrote Emily Keller, a YouTube executive overseeing uh -huh. progressive civics content partnerships, who, according to her LinkedIn, was previously the Democratic National Committee's social oh, media director. Uh -huh. Um, which also tells you something about, you know, the pipeline from politics into corporate executive roles and yep. that whole symbiotic relationship, which exists, you know, both with Democrats more so, actually, at this point than Republicans, because Trump sort of made some of his people rather unemployable. Um, so there's that. Then they also point out one of Harris's new advisors, Lorraine Voles, has a portfolio including crisis management and marketing and rebranding. Mm -hmm. Yep. I think— the White House and, you know, Democrats certainly talk about this in this town. They realize they have a problem with Kamala Harris. Mm -hmm. um, regardless of, you know, whether they like her or don't like her or whatever, they realize she is uh, not very good at being a politician. She's not well-liked. This was all obviously utterly predictable, given that she dramatically failed in her presidential primary bid. Like, you had a real-time test of whether yeah, there was a, there was right. an excitement and an organic appetite for Kamala Harris to be the next in line, and they chose to ignore that for what reason I really couldn't tell you. Um, I think, you know, I think I think Clyburn put a lot of pressure on Biden after That's, he was so instrumental. It has to be that. You know, I think certain. I I I still think they were kind of looking at Amy Klobuchar because remember Biden was saying like I'm going to make a black woman a Supreme Court justice. That was kind of the signal of like. But I'm going to pick, a, like, a white lady for vice president. And then when George Floyd happened and Amy Klobuchar was, was involved, yes. that took that off the table. So confluence of events leads you to Kamala Harris as vice president. And um, it hasn't gone very well. I mean, they've given her some very challenging assignments in terms of, hey, why don't you handle the immigration and border enforcement? Put that in your portfolio. Uh, they're clearly trying to, with this, you know, maybe rehab her image a little bit, make her a little more relatable. It's a big swing and a miss. And the real point that you alluded to is, like, just how fake everything in Washington is. It actually reminded me of that story 
about how the Zoom bookshelves oh, that's right. behind yeah. people were being artificially constructed. Were, right. right. They were like cultivated by you could hire a company to like cultivate the right books on your bookshelf like that just says everything about dc yeah exactly they would never actually read any of those books also update on the video itself uh oh boy it has four hundred thousand views not bad 2.5 2500 upvotes 21,000 downvotes and uh comments have been turned off for the video so not so good in terms of its reception. Is that representative? No. Also, we have a poll. Uh, we've been promising you more polls from the Breaking <laughs> Points audience. Bad. This is actually <laughs> revealing, though. Let's put this up here on the screen. Relatively the same amount of one-day votes. Right now, it stands around 64,000. And yes, that number holds with 90-something percent of you saying, no, I don't approve of Vice President Kamala Harris. 2% of you say yes. 8% of you say unsure. And I'll remind that— um, What were the Biden numbers? Exactly. He did a little Whenever better. it came to the Biden numbers, he had a 78% disapproval. Wow. So obviously the vast majority there still saying that they don't. But, I mean, much more of you, I mean, many thousands more, saying that you at least some did approve of Joe Biden. Not many uh, saying that you do for Kamala Harris. And that tells you the whole story. Yeah, they're they're in trouble. I mean, there's even speculation that they'll try to push somebody else into that right. slot, not necessarily the vice presidential slot, but you know, if Joe Biden doesn't run this time or if he doesn't or whether it's the next time up when, you know, of course he couldn't serve a third term and plus he'd be extraordinarily old. Yep. Um that they may not ultimately end up going with Kamala because just the the writing on the wall is way too clear. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right, guys, we're gonna have more for you later. Thanks for listening to the show, guys. We really appreciate it. To help other people find the show, go ahead and leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. really helps other people find the show. As always, a special thank you to Supercast for powering our premium membership. If you want to find out more, go to crystalandsager.com. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elia Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.